What's up everybody, GenX Dividend Investor here. In this video I tell you why Kevin O'Leary, aka Mr. Wonderful, loves dividends. And if you appreciate content like this, then please hit the thumbs up button, subscribe if you haven't yet, and click that bell notification. So if you're like me, then you've seen Kevin O'Leary on the fun reality show called Shark Tank, where entrepreneurs pitch their business ideas to a panel of six investors, aka sharks, who decide whether to invest in their companies. O'Leary has a net worth of around $400 million, so what sort of investment philosophy does he have? I have a very simple philosophy. I will never invest in a stock that doesn't pay a dividend. Let's dig into his background to see if we can understand what all influenced him. Kevin was born in Canada and his parents were small business owners. His mom used to tell her sons, boys, you never spend the principal, only the interest. Those are wise words to live by. They remind me of what I tell my wife and kids all the time, which is to never sell and just live within the dividend budget. I say never, but it doesn't mean that you literally never sell. It just means that I'm trying to caution against the normal selling pressures that people commonly have. I recommend you watch my video called When to Sell a Stock to understand when I do advocate selling. If people can invest intelligently and live within the cash flow their dividends provide, the sky's the limit on how large their portfolios can grow. Heck, it's even possible that someday, very far down the road, that your future offspring could become billionaires if they keep your legacy up of investing intelligently and living within their means. Is it likely? No, but it is possible with the right planning and education and mindset and luck. Anyways, the main reason for pushing the never sell mantra isn't to become a billionaire. It's because most people that come into wealth too quickly also tend to lose it too quickly. Let me get on my soapbox for a second. If you're watching this video then you're probably aware that the people who don't educate themselves on how to manage their money will usually end up without any. 60% of NBA players go broke within 5 years of departing the league. Almost 80% of NFL players experience financial distress just 2 years after retirement. Those guys are making millions of dollars a year, but once the cash isn't flowing in, they go belly up. A lavish lifestyle is often the main reason why players go bankrupt, but quite a few times, the people they put in charge of their money end up stealing from them, which is also a big problem for those athletes. Poor decision making and trusting the wrong people who manage your money is a recipe for disaster. Side note, one of my Patreons is an ex-NFL athlete, but he's bucking the norm and is learning how to manage his money. My wife has a friend who used to be super wealthy due to inheriting millions from her father who had been a successful surgeon. By super wealthy I mean she was living in a mansion and she only wore luxury brands and had multiple maids and blah blah blah. But what really interested me in her was when I found out that part of her inheritance included a bunch of dividend stocks. Nice. Fast forward until today and she's almost broke. Her extravagant lifestyle sunk her ship. She had to sell her mansion, her cars, her jewelry, etc. and now she's struggling to make ends meet. And her story is all too common. We've all heard about lottery winners that go broke after winning massive sums. Or think of famous people who had large amounts of wealth but eventually declared bankruptcy. People like Michael Jackson, MC Hammer, and 50 Cent all went from being super rich to bankruptcy and debt. Or actors like Nicolas Cage and Kim Basinger also declared bankruptcy. I mean we've had 8 US presidents who declared bankruptcy, including Abraham Lincoln and Thomas Jefferson. Part of the problem is that we don't teach investing skills in our schools and most people don't push themselves to become financially literate. And even our language about money isn't that great. I mean my entire life I heard people say you've got to save for retirement, which most people unfortunately translate to mean that you've got to have a lot of cash in the bank to retire. But if you're watching this video then you're one of the few people that knows that the smarter thing to do is to invest in quality companies and that retiring from investments is a lot healthier and more doable than retiring on a savings account. So really the saying should be, you got to invest for retirement. 
Okay, off the soapbox and back to Mr. Wonderful. When he was a kid, he remembered that his mom took him and his brother to the bank because of the dividend checks she was getting from her companies. His mother loved investing, and she invested a third of her weekly paycheck in large-cap dividend-paying stocks and interest-bearing bonds. Investing a third of your paycheck is an incredible lesson to take away from this. If you can do that for the rest of your life, you'll probably be blown away at how much passive income you end up with, especially if you couple investing with living frugally. Unfortunately, most people, myself included, raise their standard of living as they make more money. As the paychecks come in, we start upgrading. We get the bigger TV, the nicer car, the next Xbox, whatever. But the more you fight against lifestyle inflation and instead drive your money into investing, the brighter your future becomes. Short-term pain for long-term gain. Now, interestingly, O'Leary's mom kept the details of most of her investment portfolio secret, so Mr. Wonderful only learned about the extent of his mother's skill as an investor after her death, when her will was executed. At that point, O'Leary evaluated all his mother's stocks and was stunned to see how well her dividend-paying companies had performed. He concluded that investing in quality dividend stocks outperformed almost any other strategy he analyzed. How else was O'Leary influenced by his mom? When I was a kid, my mother taught me never buy anything that doesn't pay interest or a dividend. She believed that unless it paid cash while you waited, it wasn't an investment, it was a speculation. Kevin had it reinforced into him at a young age that your investments should pay you. Dividends fit that bill, or maybe something like real estate. He originally had aspirations of becoming a photographer, but he idolized his mom's business acumen so much that he decided to pursue an MBA in college. After college, O'Leary started a software company, and over time he became focused on educational software, and for a couple of decades he was buying up companies in that space and integrating them into his company, rebranded it The Learning Company, which was focused on educational software. He eventually sold it to Mattel for $3.5 billion. Later he set up a mutual fund company called O'Leary Funds, which he sold in 2016. So that's O'Leary's background, and if I had to summarize his investing style, I'd say he's a dividend investor who focuses on quality investments. I also read that he advocates for investors to own their age as a percentage of bonds in their portfolios. So why else is he a fan of dividends? But here's the raw data that's so interesting. Over the last 40 years, over 70% of the returns of the market have come from dividends, not capital appreciation. So that means for me, I'll never buy a stock that doesn't pay a dividend, ever. Now, obviously, you have a lot of money. Does this apply to the little guy at home who doesn't have the kind of money to invest in the stock market that you have? Lauren, it doesn't matter if you have 50000 or $500 million to invest. You have the same problem. You want to preserve your capital. You want to get paid something. You need income. And, of course, you would like to have low volatility. Clearly, his mom's success with dividends influenced him, and his own research into dividends helped further solidify his perspective and philosophy. Now let's identify specific rules O'Leary has for his investments. His number one rule is to focus your investments on things that pay interest or a dividend. I love dividends, but I think it's smart for new investors to not limit themselves to just dividend-paying companies. That being said, you can still do well over the long run if you decide to just focus on quality dividend-paying companies, ideally when they're on sale. And then as you get older, I think it definitely makes sense to focus on quality dividend-paying companies. O'Leary's first rule about only owning stuff that pays you shouldn't come as a surprise if you've watched Shark Tank before. I mean, he often demands a royalty payout as a condition for his investment offers to entrepreneurs. He likes to get a percentage of sales or a set amount of each unit the entrepreneur sells. Thus, real cash flow is integral to his investments. And here's a fun little tidbit about me. I actually publish a business book which pays royalties based on sales. But since I like to keep my anonymity, I won't tell you the title. Okay, what else does O'Leary look for in his investments? I want a quality balance sheet. In other words, if a company's borrowing money to pay me a dividend, that's bad. I want the balance sheet to be generating cash and being paid to me. 
So companies that are, are successful in building businesses with cash flow are interesting. So he has a rule that his companies need to have a quality balance sheet that generates cash. And I'd like them to be 20% less volatile or less risky than the market. He wants to find low beta investments. I'm also a fan of low beta for my conservative dividend portfolio, though for a non-dividend portfolio I'd like higher beta. Volatility can be something that you leverage to your advantage. Like maybe you're trading options and you're hoping for bigger swings, or maybe you're looking to buy. So having prices bounce around more could be optimal for getting in at a good price. What else does O'Leary want in his investments? But I also want massive diversification. I don't want more than 5% of my money in any one stock or 20% in any one sector. So lots of diversification and no more than 5% of his portfolio in any one stock. My personal guideline is no more than 10% in a single stock. Though if a company I really like came out with an amazing new innovation and their stock shot upwards until they were 25% of my portfolio, I'd probably keep hodling them. It all depends on the situation and my needs and goals and belief in the future. And then finally, O'Leary has a rule that no more than 20% of his portfolio should be in a single sector of stocks. Remember, there are 11 sectors, aka energy, with companies like ExxonMobil and Chevron, materials, with companies like Air Products and Chemicals and PPG Industries, industrials, with companies like Caterpillar and General Dynamics, consumer discretionary, with dividend companies like McDonald's and Home Depot, consumer staples, with companies like Pepsi and Procter and Gamble, healthcare, with companies like Johnson and Johnson and AbbVie, financials, with companies like Goldman Sachs and JPM, information technology, with companies like Apple and Microsoft, Communication services with companies like AT&T and Verizon. Utilities with companies like Duke Energy and Southern Company. And real estate with companies like Realty Income and Vici Properties. I'm long a lot of those companies. If you're interested in seeing everything I own, then watch my recent video called My $2.67 Million Dividend Portfolio, $90,000 Dividends Per Year, where I show you all my stocks in my Fidelity brokerage, as well as in my Portfolio Spreadsheet Tracker product, which I sell as a service to my Patreon aristocrats and kings. Also note that underneath the 11 sectors are further industry breakdowns. So like materials have chemical companies, construction material companies, etc. And then each of those gets broken down even more. Kevin is currently the chairman of O'Sherry's Investments, a company which has a variety of dividend ETFs you can invest in. Those ETFs have objectives of wealth preservation, income generation, and growth. Here's an interview that O'Leary did with the CEO of O'Sherry's Investments. I want companies that have less debt Generate, generate more returns from a measure of return on assets and generate cash that they provide distributions with in the form of dividends. Because the combination of long-term investing, if you look at it, is dividend payers give you more stability and they certainly provide returns in addition to just capital appreciation. And so that's what I'm looking for. And within the S&P 500, there's around 100 companies that are, let's say, stars or winners or better off in terms of their balance sheets. For example, I don't want to own airlines. They're upside down after the pandemic. They packed on so much debt. That's not a good place to be. And there's other sectors like that too. But you can index for strength of balance sheets. You can index for a high return on assets. You can index for distributions that are stable and not created with debt. So that's what you're looking for. And that's what I do. I, I use a subset of the S&P for the core holding of my portfolio. And, and I find that's the best way to do it in terms of price stability and capital appreciation and distributions. Kevin has said that he's an investor who demands quality, performance, and limited risk in the companies he invests in. And he says his ETFs fit those criteria. Mr. Wonderful currently has 40% of his portfolio in Alps O'Shea's US Quality Dividend ETF, ticker OUSA, which seeks to track mid and large cap dividend paying stocks in the US. I put OUSA into Portfolio Visualizer 
and it says that if you had invested $10,000 into it in January of 2016, then it would have grown to about 17200 right now, which means it underperformed VTI, which would have grown to around $19,400. But OUSA would have given you about twice the dividend cash flow of VTI, so that's something to consider. Also realize that 5 or 6 years is a pretty short period of time to conclude too much about its performance. If we look at the holdings in OUSA, we see that it has a lot of classic dividend companies you'd recognize like Home Depot, Microsoft, J&J, etc. It's got an expense ratio of 0.48%, which is a bit too high for my blood. One thing I didn't like about OUSA was the volatility of dividend payouts year over year. Like this is what Portfolio Visualizer said its yearly payouts have been from inception until now. We see that it was on a good positive trend of increasing payouts from 2016 to 2018, but then it paid out less and less from 2019 and on. OUSA has a yield of 1.92%, but zero consecutive years of dividend growth. It pays out monthly, which people like to see. Okay, another ETF Mr. Wonderful owns is Alps O'Shares Global Internet Giants ETF, ticker OGIG, which doesn't pay dividends, so I guess he does sometimes invest in non-dividend stocks. 20% of Kevin's portfolio is in OGIG. It has a 0.48% expense ratio, and it's comprised of companies like Google, Snowflake, and a bunch of other tech companies, most of which have gotten battered this year. OGIG only goes back a few years, and it underperforms VTI in that time frame. Let's talk growth versus quality dividends. I mean, how much growth do you want in your portfolio? How much do you want in, in uh, quality dividends? What's your thought going into 2022? Well, you know, I'm, I'm sort of 20% in growth and the rest in quality dividend. If you look at my, my equity portfolio, more or less, I mean, I do have venture investments, but I mark to market those at zero sometimes because the, the outcomes are unknown. That's not the core of my holdings, all the Shark Tank stuff and everything else. I'm, you know, I'm happy to, to support entrepreneurs, but I'm talking about where the real money is here. And basically 20% is in growth. Now growth to me are companies that are have strong balance sheets. They don't necessarily pay distributions because they're plowing back their profits back into growing, but they're growing at 20, 30, 40% a year. And you find them globally and you'll find them in an index called OGIG. Uh, I talked earlier about OGIG. It's a 20% holding for me. It's got more volatility, but the rules for picking those companies are different. It's not just about distributions. It's about, can they sustain the revenue growth that they're showing? And so there's many companies around the world that that are, are helping to digitize the world that are very, very high growth companies. And I want to own those for 20%. But so it's really 80-20. When you look at 80% is, is quality dip, quality balance sheets, 20% more volatile growth inside of OGIG. Okay, after OGIG is the Alps O'Shares Europe Quality Dividend ETF, ticker OEUR. It has companies like Nestle's, Novartis, AstraZeneca, Unilever, etc. Also has a 0.48% expense ratio. This European dividend ETF has so far underperformed the US market, and we see it went basically sideways for the years it's been in existence. It's got a 2.32% yield and it pays monthly, but due to its volatile payouts it has no consecutive years of dividend growth. Finally, there is the Alps O'Shares US Small Cap Quality Dividend ETF, ticker OUSM. It holds small cap US stocks. OUSM only had partial data in Portfolio Visualizer, but in the 1.5 years of data it had, it says it slightly outperformed VTI, both in stock appreciation and dividends paid. It has about a 2% yield and it pays monthly, but also zero consecutive years of dividend growth. One thing to be aware of is that all those ETFs trade on BATS, which is a less known and smaller exchange as compared to both the New York Stock Exchange as well as the NASDAQ. One observation I had about its dividend ETFs is that their yield was too low for my blood. 
I'm okay with low yields, but I'd like at least 3% for a dividend ETF, along with solid dividend growth. So for me personally, I still prefer my strategy of individual stocks plus SCHD, but I encourage you not to copy me and instead figure out what makes sense for you to do. I don't jump to broad conclusions about O'Leary's ETFs since they're relatively new. Anyways, if you've watched Shark Tank, then you know that Mr. O'Leary is a disciplined long-term investor who wants to see entrepreneurs and other investors succeed. One of O'Leary's lessons he's learned over the years is that you've got to listen to your gut, because that is your experience talking. Mr. Wonderful, like all investors, has made bad investments. He invested 250 grand into a telecom startup, but four months after he invested, the entrepreneur came back to him saying he'd used up all the cash and made some mistakes, but he could fix the problems. So O'Leary believed him and then invested another 250 grand. O'Leary said, In my stomach I didn't feel right about it. My gut said no, but because I knew the guy and I liked him, and he was a friend and yada yada yada, I gave him another 250 grand. O'Leary says he quickly realized his mistake. The company immediately went back to its free spending ways, burning through the second 250 grand investment within two months without anything to show for it. So a half million dollars went up in smoke. Kevin said that his bad investments on Shark Tank usually have some common elements to them. The startup founders can't pivot. They can't get out of their own way and they won't listen to anybody else. O'Leary calls those entrepreneurs stupid because their stubbornness prevents them from changing their bad habits and tactics. He said, they don't understand that the world moves and you have to move with it. That particular investment is one that still bothers him to this day because he didn't trust his gut. So a question you might want to ask yourself about your own dividend portfolio is if you have a company that you've always had nagging feelings about, maybe your gut is trying to tell you something. You gotta guard against making rash decisions and use data to guide what you do, but maybe your tum-tum is telling you to look deeper. Anyways, O'Leary values education so he's committed to paying for the schooling of all his future descendants. He set up a trust which he hopes will keep paying dividends long after he's gone so that his great, great, great grandkids will be able to use them to pay for school. But he's not letting them use that money for anything other than education. Thus, dividends can provide a great way that he can achieve his goals even after he's gone. And that's another reason why he loves dividends, and I think you should too. You know I do. Okay, now I'll shout out my newest upper tier Patreons who managed to sign up since my last video. So thank you MM2022, thank you ShawneeBoy1971, thank you Neil in Canada, thank you Matthew, thank you Carl O, who signed up for an entire year so he got a 10% discount, and thank you Trader J, who also signed up for an entire year. I also want to thank Zach2k, who signed up as a Patreon king. I actually didn't have any seats open, but he asked, so I opened one up for him. We had a great conversation, which I really appreciated, and I was impressed that he's moving forward in life, regardless of the adversities he faces. Aristocrats and Kings gain access to my dividend portfolio tracker spreadsheet, which I use in lots of my videos, and they get special access to my various private channels on my Discord, including one which lets you watch my videos before I release them publicly on YouTube, as well as lets you vote on which thumbnail I should use, and of course you get more direct access to me. They also get a shout out as you just heard, and I add them to my scrolling news ticker on my videos. Kings get all that, plus they get a monthly 30 minute private voice chat to talk about whatever they want with me. Finally, I urge everyone to join my free dividend discord chat server, which has thousands of dividend investors on it from around the world. Regardless of what you do, please hit that thumbs up button, subscribe if you haven't yet, and click that bell notification. Thanks for watching, stay positive, and I'll talk to you again real soon. I am not a financial advisor, and these videos are for entertainment, inspiration, and educational purposes only. Investing of any kind involves risk. I am only sharing my opinion with no guarantee of gains or losses on investments.